Hello, and welcome to the Healthcare Executive Insights Podcast. My name is Elliot Sloan with the McCallum Group. Today, we're very excited to introduce our guest, Mr. John Polychondriadis, the CEO of South Florida Orthopedics and Sports Medicine. John, thanks so much for taking time to speak with us today. Dolly, thanks for having me. I've been looking forward to this, so thanks for your time today. Uh, likewise. So let's start with uh, introducing yourself and tell us a little bit about your professional background. Yeah, for sure. Uh, well, as you can tell by the name, I'm a first-generation Greek-American. Um, I was actually born and raised in Joliet, Illinois. Um, learned to speak Greek before I learned English, and anything you ever want to know about me is in that movie, My Big Bad Greek Wedding. So we could at least we started there. Uh, went to college in Naperville, Illinois. After college, I worked towards and received a PhD in biochemistry. So I started my career as a molecular biologist, um, worked in academia for a while, worked in the pharmaceutical industry for a while. And I think it really truly defines how I see the world and what I look at. You know, someone a long time ago told me, you know, a, a great a great discoverer isn't somebody who sees something for the first time. It's somebody that sees something that everyone else has seen a hundred times, but thinks what no one else has thought. But it's just like that mindset that I've always been drawn to. I always ask why, well, why? Well, why? So it's kind of led me to where I'm at. Uh, during my path as a scientist, I went back to school to get an MBA in finance. And through that schooling, my peers and colleagues told me to leave pharma and try to leverage my scientific training, my problem solving abilities to answer healthcare questions. So, so that was kind of the pivot. So that happened about 15 years ago. So since then, um, I oversaw strategic initiatives in the ASC space. Um, I was doing stuff like market expansion and understanding consumer-driven healthcare and the importance of patient-reported outcomes and employee engagement and satisfaction. Sure. And yeah, which was awesome. Um, and then I led ambulatory operations for a huge pediatric system, um, which really got my feet wet in operations. So I was managing large P&Ls, multiple service lines, um, multiple locations. And what I learned there was, you know, how do we build a system or how do we build healthcare where we actually bring healthcare to the people, right? Versus asking people to come to the hospital. So it was really my 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 getting my feet wet in ambulatory operations, which was great. Um, I'm a lifelong learner, went back to school, got a couple other masters. And right now, and I've been doing this for a while. I'm, I'm a CEO of an orthopedic practice. Um, as you said, Elliot, I've been doing that for uh, probably seven, eight years now at different practices. Um, and I handle everything, right? That's what a CEO does, right? So we handle operations, we handle growth and strategy and human resources and leadership development and culture. And like I said earlier, so I'm now the CEO of South Florida Orthopedics and Sports Medicine. Um, it's a group that's been around for about 30 years. We opened up our doors in 1995. We are 21 docks deep with all the infrastructure. We have everything in house, you know, MRI, DME, ASDs, floral suite, PT. So we have everything in house. We're in a growth trajectory, and uh, it's 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 been a good ride. That's a great introduction, and thank you for sharing all those details. It's funny. Uh, it seems like you actually fell in the right industry, being a problem solver that you are, and looking at all the issues that the healthcare industry has as a whole. Um, your work is certainly, you know, cut out for your, for your efforts, meaning um, it seems like healthcare is still doing things the old way in a lot of different manners. No, I, I would agree with that 100%. I, I think it's, um, it, it, people say this all the time that we're always behind the eight ball where it seems like we're behind on technology. It seems we're behind on 
culture development or leadership. It seems like we're behind on payment methodologies, right? I, I think it's it's we it's we got. I think healthcare has just gotten used to doing things a certain way, and at this point, it's like turning the Titanic. That you know, it's just like we're all trying to really see what needs to happen, but it's just like it's incremental changes. But the good thing is that type of change happens. It's incremental, right? It, it's not like this huge sweeping, you know, thing that happens that all of a sudden tomorrow is this whole new thing. I just think that, you know, healthcare is a humble and I think um, noble profession. And I think people that are in it are in it for the right reason. Now it's just about us aligning to figure out how do we do it better, right? Not for us, but like how do we do it better for our patients, for our communities, for our employees, right? It's just how do we do things better? It doesn't have to be the old way. I couldn't agree more. And um, it seems like from a lot of these conversations I've had, um, a lot of the challenges for these groups to survive and give the high quality care to the patients is dealing with payers. Can you talk about those challenges and what you think needs to happen um, to get people better access and more affordable care? Yeah, that's that's the million dollar question. So here's my here's my very high level perspective. It's that I just think we're on. It seems like everyone's on opposite teams, right? Yeah. So if I'm fighting, if I'm trying to get paid more for a service, that means someone has to get paid less, right? But that's right then I'm talking about the insurance company. So if I make more, the way they see it is that they're making less, right? So then they're they're kind of incentivized to have me do less. Irregardless, from my perspective, irregardless of quality, right? I mean, I know there's a, there's initiatives in place that, you know, everyone's trying to look out for the patient, I, but I just don't know if it, if it plays out that way. I think that they have stakeholders and shareholders that they're looking out for. I'm trying to do what's best for my patients and my providers and my 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 entity as well. And it's it's a zero sum game. And unfortunately, healthcare won't change unless we change that. It, unless we change it, change the, the dynamic and change the dialogue that it's not a zero sum game. We're all taking care of the same patients. We're all taking care of the same community. There has to be a way where it could be a win-win-win. Like it's a win for us. It's a win for the insurance company. It's a win for the patient. It's a win. Like it's, it has to change that versus I want more from you and you're going to stop me from doing that, right? The, 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 the conversation just has to change a little bit. I couldn't agree more. Are you guys um, participating in any value-based care models? No, not at the moment. Not not at the moment. So our, our primary day-to-day is um, fee-for-service. Yep. Um, so it, it is it is what it is. But I think where we're going and where I would like to take this um, organization, and I think healthcare in general, is, you know, people you throw out these terms, value-based models or population health, right? But, you know, at the end of the day, what I'm just trying to create is an integrative ecosystem. Yep. I don't want to have to fight with people to get patient data, right? Like, it, it, like we should all be able to see what's happening with our patients. So, we, you know, why, why, are, why is data so hard to exchange, right? Without that data interoperability, like why is that an issue? Like I understand we have to be secure. We have to like I understand why it needs to be tightly reined in, but I also don't understand why it's so hard for us to communicate with other healthcare providers when we're trying to take care of the same patients, right? And it's also what else should we be doing? I think healthcare is evolving where we're not just we don't get we shouldn't just get judged on did the did the bone fuse. Did the fracture heal? We should really get judged on, is that parent be able to play with this kid again? Is that elderly father able to walk his his daughter down the, down the aisle on her wedding day, right? Yeah. That's what true success is, right? 
So then when you think about it, well, how do we get there? Well, it's more than just a surgery. It's more than just a bone fusing. It's yeah. potentially education. Potentially it's it's pre-care, it's post-care, it's, commu- it's, it's building a community, right? So I, I think that's where I would love healthcare to go. And that's what I'm trying to do here is more community involvement, more education, more community-based care versus you have a broken bone, we'll fix it. We will. But what else do we do for that patient or that sure. community? Yeah, maybe you gave someone with a spine surgery their ability to be mobile back and maybe they were on the onset of having diabetes and now their A1C comes down. Now they're losing exactly. weight. Now they're preventing the onset of diabetes, which could cost our whole entire health system a lot more in the long run. Exactly right. And instead of thinking of it as a transactional experience, it really, from my perspective, it should be transfer- transformational, not transactional, where it's the whole patient and I hate to use the term cradle to grave, but I, it's more than just this episode. It's, it, it should be a bigger picture that we should all be involved with. For sure. I'm going to throw a, a question at you. Uh, hopefully it's not a curveball, but yeah. what do you think is the most press, pressing issue for private practices today in 2023 that most groups are facing? Well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to steer it to what I'm, what I'm focusing on. So again, I, I can tell you what I'm focusing on, and, and I think there'll, there'll be some similarities with other groups. Um, I actually believe we have a culture issue. <laughs> to, be, to be perfectly honest, um, you know, and, I, and I'll get to it, but I think culture dictates staffing. I think that culture dictates patient care. Right? So I, it all leads to the end point I, or, uh, of, the thing, of the things I think we're all dealing with. But I think developing a good culture it's something that I think everyone says, but I don't think people, a lot of people know how to do it or how to create a good one. So, so let me, let me just take a minute and kind of give you my thoughts on it. And then you can definitely poke holes in my, my, my logic here. But to me, you know, a lot of, there's a lot of focus on operations. There's a lot of focus on finance, but those to me are driven by culture. So if you, if you have an excellent culture, if you, if you actually do something, if you create the how of, of how an organization runs, which to me is the culture, you'll get the one, you'll get the good finances, you'll be able to get employee retention, you'll be able to get good patient satisfaction. So to me, culture is the thing that truly defines the sustainability and success of an organization. So that, that, that's how I see it. And that's something that I think a lot of organizations don't put enough em- emphasis towards. You know, I, I picture it like culture is a magnet, right? And so a magnet can either repel or attract, right? So if you have a bad culture, I actually think you attract the wrong employees, potentially, or, and, and, and it, it retracts good employees, right? Um, so if you can somehow f- create your magnet where you're attracting the right employees that believe in the same things, that have that shared vision, who's taking care of your patients? It's those employees. Who's talking good about your, your entity? It's those employees. Now, all of a sudden, it's easier to, to re- recruit because it's word of mouth, right? So I have great employees that love their job because we have a great culture recruiting other great employees. Now, all of a sudden, I've, I've created this self-sustaining kind of mechanism of awesome growth. And I know that if I have great staff that are empowered, that feel good about the culture of the organization, they're going to take, they're going to go above and beyond for our patients, right? And that, that helped our finances. So it, it's, it's to me, it, it's that culture development that I think a lot of company, a lot of entities in healthcare just don't put enough emphasis on. I agree. And the culture is a lot of times something that leadership overlooks in many instances. Can you share with me your thoughts on how does the executive leadership actually make a difference in the culture? Yeah. So 
I'm going to misquote this, but it, it's a quote I share with my team a lot. So I think Michelangelo had this quote that, you know, he was a sculptor, as you know, and he didn't create any, and again, I'm misquoting, but he didn't create the, the, the sculpture. What he did, he freed it from something that was already in the, the marble block, right? So I think what leaders need to do is not create a culture, but get rid of all the garbage that's ruining culture, right? So again, you get rid of all the superfluous kind of material, and all of a sudden you're left with this beautiful thing that you think you created, but you're just eliminating barriers. So, so here's my thought on leadership and how to do that is, one, I think leaders need to take accountability and responsibility for their own actions. I think leaders have to lead by example. And I think we get... There's organizations out there that sometimes ego gets in the way, right? That, you know, and, and from my perspective, ego is inversely related to how good a leader, sh leader is, right? So yeah. a leader a leader has to walk the walk, talk the talk. They have to demonstrate the behaviors they want their employees to demonstrate. They have to demonstrate the work ethic, the values, um, the policies. You know, they have to keep themselves accountable because whether they think so or not, employees are watching them, right? So you can have a great, beautiful poster in the break room about your mission, vision, values, but if they see leadership's not following any of that stuff, um, they're gonna they're gonna take their cue from leaders and then not follow it, right? So one is leaders have to lead by example. Part of that also is they have to foster this environment of collaboration and trust, right? So a lot of healthcare organizations, again. A lot of people think decisions are made behind closed doors. A lot of people think they, they don't have a say in where the, where the um, entity is going. And I think great organizations figure out a way to establish trust, to establish safety, to establish collaboration within, within their entity, because that's where innovation happens. That's where growth happens. I, 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 so I'm a CEO, and I'll, and, I'll, and I'll honestly own this, that my front office staff knows more about what's happening in the waiting room than I ever will, right? My, my MAs and my clinical staff will know more what's happening in the exam room than I ever will. Well, how, who am I to tell them what to do? I need them to come to me with their issues and their problems and tell me how to make this organization better. Sure. And it's my job to just clear the path for them. Like I'm going to block and tackle and let the fullback through, right? So like that, that's, that's my job as a leader. Um, I think leaders also need to walk the walk, talk the talk when it comes to work-life balance. Again, and it's something, you know, you and I, Elliot, you and I talked about earlier is we have to just kind of be the example of working effectively and efficiently, right? So it's not just putting in the hours to put in the hours, it's putting in value add hours. So how do you do that? How do you communicate that? How do you set up alignment so people understand where the, where the boat is going? How do you set up accountability that people understand what they're going to be held accountable to? And lastly, how do you acknowledge when things happen right? And it's, that's the thing that I think defines culture is we spent so much time talking about what went, what went wrong. We spent so much time pushing people, pushing people, pushing people. It's okay to take a break and acknowledge the greatness and the work that we do and the patient's lives that we fix and, the, and, and just the greatness that is to work in healthcare. It's okay to do that because that will just boost morale. That'll make them work harder. So that, sure. that's where I think leadership plays a, plays a role. Yeah, there's a lot of good things that uh, takeaways from your feedback there. Uh, I think a lot about people who get into healthcare wanted to get into healthcare to be able to serve others, right? To be able to help patients, but they also want purpose, right? Uh, this is, I mean, of course, doctors can have a, a good compensation, but a lot of the people that are dealing with the patients on the day-to-day, -day, on the phones, at the front desk, or, you know, the MAs or the mid-levels in the exam rooms, they didn't get into this industry 
to make a massive amount of money. They want to change patients' lives and have their voice be heard and be able to contribute to the growth or the success or the change at an organization. And like you said, you know, really having that confidence and that trust for your employees to feel like they can take the ball and run with something and bring it to leadership to implement a better operational uh, process is very empowering and the key cornerstone, in my opinion, to um, having a healthy culture. The other thing that I think about is medicine has changed so much over the years. It used to be, I'm the doctor and you will be fortunate to get an appointment with me. Mm -hmm. And if that means you have to wait three, four weeks, then that's what you'll do. And if that means you have to wait two hours in the exam, in the um, waiting room, that's what you'll do. Um, and there was always that pride of being a doctor and not having to become a customer service organization. But now healthcare has transitioned over the years with, you know, the mentality of, um, Amazons and the um, Zappos of the world have started to bleed into the healthcare industry with people want very high-end customer service, they want healthcare on demand, and they're driving the ship now, right? Uh, I would agree 100%, with you, Elliot. I, I think we're living in the the, the phase of, I guess, the consumerism of healthcare and everybody uses that term, but I, I actually think it's, it's, it's true is that, you know, the days of paternalistic medicine where you just take what a, what a physician tells you, those days are gone. Yeah. I believe, I believe that we've reached a point where from a patient's perspective, there's an equality of quality, right? That I'm going to go to a doctor that's trained appropriately. I expect this clinical outcome. But now I want all this other stuff. I want access. I want convenience. I want I want to feel special, right? I want this exceptional customer experience. I want improved communication. I want you to communicate with me how I want to be communicated. I want you to text me. I want I want to set up my own appointments. I want to pay my bills online. I want education. I want to be part of the conversation. I I, I want shared decision making, right? So it's it's completely changed um, to what I think it was probably 10, 15 years ago. Sure. And I think it's a it's a it's only going to stay, right? So I, I think the sustainability of healthcare organizations it is linked to their ability to appreciate how powerful the patient is now in, in their decision-making on where they get their information from, how they want to be communicated, and how they want to be engaged. 100%. The power is in the patient's hands, as it should be, right? It's their healthcare journey. Yep, correct. I agree. One other um, area that I've seen a lot of practices overlook is their intake team, their receptionists, and the importance of that front line of workers that are scheduling new patients. Um, a lot of groups will put a low hourly rate employee in that position with very little training, and they are completely neglecting the fact that that is their number one revenue source is new patients. And it all starts right there. Of course, they could have the best doctors, the best robotic technology, the best ASC, the best everything. But if they don't have a great front desk receptionist team, then they're missing the ball completely. 
No, I, I agree with you. And it, it just piggybacks on our conversation on consumerism is that I think a patient can have the best clinical outcome, but if they have a not so good first interaction, if they don't have a good conversation on the phone with the intake, if they don't have a great conversation with our billing expert, that'll that'll make them not come back anymore, right? Re- even though they had a great clinical outcome, right? So it, it, it's these patient touching touch points that I think are going to drive the success um, and future of healthcare, right? It, it's 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 that, right? It's how how efficient, how effective, how wonderful is my touch points with patients throughout the throughout the whole continuum of care, right? Meaning. From the time they call, no, from the time they're searching you online, the yep. time they call a schedule all the way time to their last bill is are all t- touch points um, optimized for patient experience. So you're hitting it right on the head, Elliot. Yeah, um, it's, you know, something that we see uh, a lot with being a, a healthcare marketing and advertising agency. Um, typically, we will only launch direct-to-consumer campaigns if we feel that they have the right team with the right structure to really properly manage those patients. Um, Because we've had a lot of unfortunate experiences where we produce a lot of calls and leads, but it doesn't translate to more patients because they weren't, um, you know, set up properly from the get-go. So uh, that's something that we definitely put some effort into with our clients. No, and that makes sense, Elliot, because I think I, I think you know people like you and your organization are subject matter experts to understanding how to turn the faucet on. Yeah, it's up to the organization to understand if you turn it on, will I drown? Right. So again, it, it, it it's it's conversion by quality, right? It's not we're not this the game is not volume trumps because the last thing I want is to get a bunch of people mad at how we how the organization treated them. Like that that's not going to help anybody at all. It's it's about Yes, help me understand how to get the right patient in the door at the right time for the right provider, right? So I get that. But if I can't operationalize that, the patient's going to feel it. Sure. And then I'm going to feel it. Sure. I got uh, one more question for you. Sure. Um, what technologies are you using to help improve processes or patient care? Is there any um, systems uh, or even you know, technologies in the uh, operating room that is really uh, making a big impact for your group? Yeah, so I'm going to try to be technology agnostic here. But yeah, so that is another initiative that we've taken on here pretty aggressively is to help utilize technology for the consumerism of care, right? So again, we're trying to figure out, all right, what's the best technology so a patient can schedule their appointment online? Okay, what's the best technology that we can communicate bidirectionally with patients, right? Through a text, right? Because a lot of patients now want text in and out. What's the best technology for payment options? Maybe we want to try to avoid those face-to-face conversations about co-pays, right? Maybe some patients would rather just pay for it on the phone, right? And that's it's actually very true. From an operational perspective, what's the best technology to make sure our rev cycles, you know, on point, right? And that's that's a huge undertaking for us is to make sure that um, and I'm, I'm sure you've seen it out that there's so many touch points in rough cycle from what happens, you know, the demographics collected on the front office to what happens in that clinic to what happens in the back office. Like, like they all have to talk. They all have to communicate. Everything has, these have to be crossed. I have to be dotted. So the question is, do you have the right technology in place to check your work, your audio work, confirm it's happening timely, right? So again, there's all this technology that we're utilizing to kind of capitalize on our rev cycle or at least create efficiencies. From an OR perspective, absolutely. Our doc, my docs are involved with 
uh, robotic navigation systems. They're definitely in, in, into um, less is more, right? So we're definitely evolve, evolving with technology to have minimally invasive approaches, right? So, so absolutely. But again, that's driven by patients because that's what patients want. And I think that's what they deserve, right? So I think it's up to the provider and organizations like ours just to push the envelope, to stay up to date and to do what we can for, again, the most effective and efficient experience for our patients and for our staff for that matter. I mean, I don't want my staff burn out because they have to do this redundant tax task over and over again. There's sure. technology that can automate or that can make them more efficient and effective. Uh, of course, I'm going to put resources towards that. Yep. Yeah. The technologies are so many different touch points from patient facing, facing touch points, internal staff, doctors in the OR and everything in between. So um, it sounds like you guys are really um, looking under every rock for something that can improve processes, which is wonderful and probably why you're uh, ahead of the industry in your uh, market. Yeah, I, 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 well, thank you for that. But again, I think we have to because I, I don't have a choice. I have to look under every rock because, again, I think that will define who we are, right? That'll define our culture and it defines how we do, how we operate, right? So, again, without that, the what's aren't going to happen. The financial statements aren't going to hit their mark. You know, the patient experience isn't going to hit their mark. So I, I have no choice but to operationalize technology and focus on the how we do stuff to make that end product just happen. It sounds like you're in a, I'm a, assuming here that you're in um, probably some tug of wars between the partners and their distributions and high investing into technology. <laughs> You know what? You're absolutely right. But isn't that, the, isn't that true for all practices, right? But, you know, it, it's here. Here's a, a mind shift I did for them, right? You know, when we look at when, when I do our, my monthly meetings with P&Ls, I'm trying to make sure the conversation isn't about an expense item, but the conversation is about an investment opportunity, right? Yep. So my goal is to show them that an increase in expense in this line item will create an ROI down the road, right? So so it, it's that conversation. It, it's true, higher expenses equals less distributed income. But I'll tell you what, higher expenses that create a big ROI for a larger payday in the future, they'll listen to that story, right? So, 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 so that's the conversation. That's, you can never stop investing in yourself. That's it, because if you don't, like someone else will take your market share. So again, we staying stagnant isn't an option. Last question for you. I know I, uh, I might've, misspoken on the last question. But, All right. That's okay. Uh, what's the five-year plan? What's the uh, future look like for Florida orthopedic and sports medicine? Man, here, that's a, that's a big one. And again, I'll be on, I'm, I'm the type of leader who doesn't look beyond six months, right? So because again, the market's changed so dynamically. I have no idea what's coming on the bike, but, but here, here's kind of my initial thoughts. One is, um, Let's talk about what we provide to, to our patients, right? So how do we keep diversifying our portfolio? Just like, you know, just like our stock portfolio, are there new products, new service lines, right? Are there new docs we need to add to the market, right? So that's always kind of top of mind is how do I keep diversifying to stay relevant with the current needs and, and my projected future needs of the market, right? So again, so it's, it's diversifying a portfolio. Um, I'm also looking at partnerships, right? So there's a lot of consolidation happening in the market. I want us to stay private and independent. So there are opportunities to find like-minded groups or like-minded partners, like-minded suppliers that appreciate what a private practice can offer a community, right? So there's opportunities for JV and partnerships that are on my mind. For sure, for sure, patients are always top of mind. 
So I have to stay abreast of what patients want, listen to them. You know, I, I'm the type of leader that I actually go through every Google review, every, every, every time a patient says something about us, I listen and try to figure out what else can we be doing for our patients to pr- produce that awesome experience, right? And quality and a price point that, that, that they appreciate. I'm always looking at new marketing initiatives, right? Even, even when there's inflation, even when economies are down or, you know, people are a little hesitant and they try to hunker down. To me, that's when people should kind of put the foot on the gas a little bit to show the community that we're still here. We're, we are here. Good times are, it's, it's kind of like a wedding vow, right? Good times are bad, uh, richer for poor. We are here for you, right? So, there, so I have to make sure our community is aware that we're still here uh, in good times and in bad. So there, there's marketing initiatives, a little bit more grassroots initiatives. I like hosting or I, I like sponsoring 5Ks, 10Ks, right? Letting the community know we are here. We are here to take care of you. Um, so again, I know it's a vague answer to your question, but those are things that I think about today, tomorrow. That's what I'm going to think about a year from now. It's just, how do I make sure we have a sustainable product and a sustainable practice that is good for our staff, that's good for our docs, that's good for our patients, good for our community. That's it. That's amazing, John. And I couldn't agree uh, more with going back to focus on the culture and a lot of things fall into place around that culture if you build it correctly. Um, I know our audience will have a lot of really great takeaways from our conversation today. So again, thank you so much for your time. I could see why South Florida Orthopedics and Sports Medicine is uh, really leading the charge in your space, in your industry down in South Florida. So continue keeping up with the good work and thanks for your time. I appreciate it, Alan. Have a good one. Thank you. Take care.